Good day, friends. I'm a restless soul named Michael Dean Gold. Yes, like the precious metal. This show is about the intense experiences we go through, how they speak to us, and the valuable questions they might make us ask about ourselves. These experiences come mostly from people on Instagram who share authentic, genuine pieces of their lives. Today in the show, expressions of life experience through poetry by the people who wrote them. If I put out these very personal poems and it's very true and authentic and kind of soul bearing, then it's kind of like I can only go up from here because I've already bared all my, <laughs> my secrets. Once I'm there, I am so engulfed in the experience and I come back home and a few weeks, a few months go by and you know, I'm still like enamored in the experience. And again, the itch comes back. I just was invisible. Even when I was trying to scream and shout, hey, I'm here, I, you know, I felt really invisible. I was drawn to Arika Nicole Moore's Instagram. Her handle is author Arika Nicole, all linked in my show description. She likes hearts and sparkles, close-ups and a positive vibe, really warm posts like a good friend. As I'm clicking through her feed, I'm learning she's a wife, a mother, she co-hosts a podcast, and by day she's a lawyer involved with some criminal law, some corporate law, some activism, and if that wasn't enough, she says writing was her first love. So I'm looking for her writing and I find she's released her second book this past fall. It's a collection of short, suspenseful horror stories. Yes, you heard me right, horror stories. The book's titled Diabolical Tales of Woe. So you're thinking, hey, Restless Soul, you just said this was about poetry. Yes, her story is, and how it becomes poetic was fascinating to me. She told me Diabolical Tales of Woe was going to be her first book, her debut. But then, as she was planning it, something changed her mind. For me, it would be the Freddy Krueger, uh, Michael Myers, Jason. Those were our probably our top three. All-time favorite have to be Freddy. Uh, me and my siblings loved him so much because he was so um, playful, I think. Sarcastic type of psycho killer. Well, you look tired. Have a seat. No, thanks. I'm fine just the way I am. For now, maybe. But when you wake up, it's back in the saddle. Again. One of my mom's favorite stories to tell about me when I was a child, my mom loves to tell stories. Um, she tells people about this story that I wrote and it was a short story about a person's shadow who would leave them and go commit murders and then come back to them throughout the day. I think it was probably around that time. I was like, I'm a writer. <laughs> that's my, you know, that's my path. That's what I'm going to do. So I'm going to be how old were you when you wrote that? 10, 11, something around that. Right around that time period. That's when you really developed into a writer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You also described your childhood as troubled. Um, we had domestic violence in our house. And so for me, um, a way to escape that and to kind of uh, process and deal with it as a child was to write or to read. So it's like, oh, I don't want to be here today let me find somewhere to go. So I would just pick up a book and basically pour myself into that person's life 
or if the emotions were too overwhelming then I would just write for myself but it was kind of a necessary thing for me to do to be able to maintain under those circumstances at that age and it shaped your writing yeah it shaped my whole life really here's Arika reading from Diabolical Tales of Woe They sat drinking the wine, laughing about old times as if their earlier conversation had never occurred. It was nice. She almost forgot why she was there, until she saw her start to get lightheaded. What's wrong with me? I can handle half a bottle of wine, Serena sounded concerned. Well, that's because I drugged you. I put Belladonna in your bottle, Amelia said without any emotion in her voice or on her face. Why, Serena asked with a tear running down her face. Revenge, she said as she watched Serena lose consciousness. Amelia grabbed the large plastic sheet and the Victoria Knox knife set from her car. She made sure all of the curtains were drawn before she got to work executing... The book was supposed to be Eureka's first, but it wound up being her second. Her first book is a poetry collection called Lost. She released it first because there was something about herself she wanted us to know before anything else. I had surgery and I was on bed rest. And I'm watching old episodes of Alfred Hitchcock Presents. And I have this idea to write my second book. And so I thought to myself about kind of the fear of putting that work and that writing out into the world. And so I I kind of decided in that moment to overcome that fear before I even finished the book by putting out the most personal thing I could possibly put out. If I put out these very personal poems and it's very true and authentic and kind of soul bearing then it's kind of like I can only go up from here because I've already bared all my (laughs) my secrets so here's an excerpt from the poem titled maybe maybe it's the way that I love or the way that I carry myself that lets you know I don't deserve your best I give all of myself while accepting some of you in return. It hurts and I cry, and yet I never learn, chasing a feeling that may have never been true. Why did you choose Lost as a title? I think it kind of, at the time, described that in-between space, in-between, you're not who you used to be, you're not yet who you want to be, and you're stuck in this like place of growth where it's painful and you're struggling against change and growth and your current circumstances based on what you thought life would be like and what it really is and so there was so much negativity and so many challenges that I just felt like I wasn't quite myself and I wasn't quite who I was supposed to be or trying to be. Untitled. If the person you are meant to be dies, then who will you become? In a sea of despair and lies, it's hard to imagine which way to go. Feeling your way through the dark in hopes of discovering a new path. When you hate where you come from, how can you possibly know the way? When every turn seems to help you stray from the path of least resistance, perhaps the place you are meant to be, evolving into a person whom even you don't understand, hoping to come to terms with the hurt and pain in your past, hoping to learn a lesson that you can't yet grasp, dying to know the answers, crying to make it through, How could you let one person change you? Can you help us understand how low 
you had been and then how did you get out of the fog? Well, I think I would have to say, looking back, my lowest point was when I took about 10 hydrocodones before I was going to go to bed. And then my husband caught me and made me throw them up. So I would say that's probably my lowest point. And how I got to the other side of that is family. Like my mom came and took the kids and I started counseling and started really taking it very seriously that things were not going well. And I think that's one of the things that is hard for people to do, to say, listen, it's not that I'm failing, I'm just struggling and I need help. And instead of doing it in silence, like I said, I reached out to my mom and to my family and everybody was like, let's get this girl together. <laughs> and then so, you know. <laughs> do you think that the dark places and the pain brings out some of the deepest, richest writing from us? I think it's the truth and the authenticity. And it's also that that kind of like that element that I was speaking to before where people suffer in silence. And then when they find something where they're like, hey, I'm not alone in this trauma or pain or whatever it is that you're going through, because if I'm writing about it, then obviously I'm, you know, <laughs> I'm dealing with it. I'm not just sitting in the house in the dark with the shutters drawn, not today at least. <laughs> This is an excerpt from the poem, Sorrow. Sorrow is a disease that overcomes the soul. How can one release the grasp that it has on you? How can you retain your sense of self? With the entire world crashing down on you, the feelings of triumph in your life long gone, the feelings of failure too long, the emotional roller coaster that ensues, you try to remain true to the path you chose to take, when you can't find confidence in any decision you make. I don't think that I would be as empathetic to other people if I didn't know what it was like to experience pain. And when you see somebody who's been through something that you've been through and you're like hiding it and holding it close to you, like even like especially... Um, as a sexual assault victim, a lot of times it's like embarrassing. You don't want to talk about it and you don't want to um, let anyone know that you've been through this because you've got this victim stigma. And then so people just suffer in silence. There are so many different things that people experience and suffer with alone. And then if you can find something, even something as small as a poem that makes you feel like, hey, somebody else went through this and made it to the other side. If they can, you can. And as a writer, that's something that I mean, I feel like I should be striving to do to reach my audience and to leave a lasting mark on people. Arika had me asking myself some pretty tough questions. Am I able to be radically transparent? Can I bear my soul, not without fear? Because radical transparency is scary, let's admit it. But can I stare those fears in the face and reveal them? And why would I want to do that? Because it will weaken the power those things have over me. Am I able to do it? Also, am I always looking for the easy road, what she referred to as the path of least resistance? Is that what I'm about? The easy stuff? Rika realized that path was the way to trouble. She decided to take on the hardest stuff first. So am I able to do that? 
And finally, suffering in silence is all around us and nothing good comes from it. We are either the person suffering or someone who can help give that person a voice, help them heal. In either case, it takes courage. Do I have the courage to confront suffering in silence? Next up from the Instagram of R.T. Sosa. He was born in the Dominican Republic, but raised in the American South, served in the U.S. Air Force, and still works in the aviation industry. R.T. loves to travel, which he shares with us through beautiful, captivating posts, and actually that's what drew me in. For example, a post in Iceland at a place called the Blue Lagoon. Picture a sprawling man-made lagoon built in a lava field with powder blue water and steam rising off of it as people relax in the water with beer or a glass of wine. And there's many more adventures in R.T.'s feed. But as I was enjoying his videos and pictures, I came across a book he'd written titled Things That Get Away. Hmm. Things That Get Away. The title really intrigued me. The book is beautiful, emotional, and captures the rich details of a very observant person. He calls it writing scenes. So I wanted to know, where did things that get away come from? You know, I think it was uh, the accumulation of all of my experiences coming in all at once. Just getting to this point where I started appreciating a lot of these things that I wasn't before. I'm a first-generation, technically, immigrant into the U.S., first person in my family to serve in the U.S. military. Um, so a lot of these experiences of just changing, a lot of change in my life, I didn't feel that I was ever in a spot where I was appreciating all of these things. Um, and I finally got to a place in my life where I started appreciating all these things. Um, and that's when I decided to write this uh, book, was Things I Get Away. It's all these things that I've kind of never really appreciated that much in my life until this point. Um, and started actually going back in memories and, and thought and seeing, oh man, I've missed out on a lot of things that I could appreciate in the moment. What made you decide to take the scenes you observe and put them on paper? I mean, was there a moment? I don't think there was one singular moment. Um, I have been writing for a very long time, a lot of years now. I've just been collecting a lot of different stories. Um, and I started traveling long before I actually started writing. When I was a little kid and I was in the Dominican Republic, I saw an airplane fly across the sky. And uh, back then, I think it was the American Airlines who had, it was basically like a aluminum body. So you'd see him fly across the sky and if the sun hit it, it would just shine everywhere. And uh, I remember as a little kid just seeing that airplane and just seeing it fly in one direction and never seeing it again. I was just fascinated and I wanted to work with airplanes. I wanted to be in an airplane. And as, as I started getting uh, older, it was always this wanting to experience, experience the world that was out there, you know, experience more than just a small town that I lived in. From that small town, I moved to a bigger town and I experienced that and I wanted to experience more. Um, but just knowing that, you know, there was so much of the world that's not me and wanting to chase that and wanting to be somewhere else. Um, I've been lucky enough to like go to different countries and experience them and, you know, it's ever, it, once I'm there, I am so engulfed in the experience and I come back home and, you know, a few weeks, a few months go by and, you know, I'm still like enamored in the experience. And again, the itch comes back. Page 65, Van Life, second paragraph. I love many things. 
I love the sunset in Bear Creek when the light zigzags in and out of the trees. I love long night drives, and I love you. Especially on mornings like this one, waking up early breaths from you. Anxious, but thrilled, with no sense of direction, but rather knowing I'd find it with you. How do you get to a place in your mind when you approach a day or a moment, a trip, with no expectation other than let's just see what this experience is about? I think for me, there's always this wanting. I think if, if you read through some of my stuff, that word usually comes up a lot. Um, this wanting to just get away, to chase that adventure. I think in some sort of uh, avenue or some sort of form, we all have that sort of feeling inside of us. Where, you know, we go through the mundane parts of our lives, we go to work, we go to come home, eat, do all these things. And a part of us wants a change from all of that. And I think that for me, when I go into a new experience or I'm going into a new trip or I'm going to experience something different, it's always about going into that glass empty. I think that I can't go into an experience with a glass half full of whatever I'm bringing in for my life and expect to receive the most out of it. Um, so if I'm going on a trip, I kind of just get into this mindset. I have this playlist always that I listen to whenever I'm going on, on, on a trip. See you face to face, I'm thinking about the days we used to be. But I can't make a scene. But I can't make a scene. Like I want you. Take me to your river. So that's my mentality, just going into everywhere I go with a glass completely empty. And if, you know, the chance comes for me to sit down and meet some stranger or somebody and tell my story, then, you know, at that time I allow myself. But for the most part, it's, I want to take in the world as much as possible because I don't think that I'm doing that enough. The petals game. I like to pick her petals like the beautiful flower that she is one at a time and always with questions. Addressing her in the decency of this light that shines dimly in this room, we both stare into each other's eyes. One at a time I begin. She likes me, she likes me not. Addressing her, peeling back layers without the fear of thorns. One decadent soft peel at a time to reveal the secrets that flowers keep. Once again, she likes me, she likes me not. Removing the outer layers kind of clockwise Peeling her and revealing her smile with shoulder shrugs, with dancing dimples at the motion of every petal's pull. She wants to dance as all flowers do, vividly in the wind, but instead she sits in this room kindly and beautifully. She smiles as I undress her again, revealing after every petal a piece of pure and pure truth. I caress her with my nervous hands as I continue. Once again, she likes me, she likes me not. She likes me. And as the petals pull away and dwindle, onto the bed they fall, in pure recognition of the ending. And as our eyes meet, the softness in my hand, and to my surprise, she likes me now. You mentioned the exodus from the Dominican Republic inspired you to kind of discover yourself as a writer. Can you take me through that and elaborate on that process? Yeah, um, I come from a very big uh, storytelling sort of culture in the Dominican Republic. There's, we definitely have a strong history, but it's always been a vocal history as our ancestors has passed on. Um, so I remember growing up, just spending all the time with family and sitting around family and drinking coffee and just sharing stories. 
Um, and you, you know, you get the stories from like the, the elders, from, you know, the grandparents and the aunts and the uncles. And then, you know, the youngsters would sit together and you do, you follow in the same steps, you know, you share stories. Um, so the Exodus coming from my culture was always this, this sort of storytelling culture um, that has revolved even as I came to the States. Um, that's a passing of knowledge, a passing of jokes, a passing of just moments in a way for us to teach each other things and to remember these important things as romance, as hardship, and all these other lessons that are just told through these wonderful stories. The most important information that we can pass on from one to the other is not necessarily about all these other things, but about the human experience, about the way that we feel, about the way that you know we interact with each other. And you can only explain that sometimes is by telling a short tale or telling something that connects with you in a very personal level. Page 41, Before We Begin, Paragraph 3. Before we begin, before you amaze me, tell me how empty it will feel when I walk away without you. Explain to me the void and the helplessness, how the love I hold will so quickly dissipate as soon as we become a memory. Thank you for your service to the country, by the way. Of course, thank you. How did you become this intense observer? Um, I give credit to the military for that. Depends on attention to detail, but it's an accumulation of attention to detail, a wanting to, I, I keep saying that word because it's such a big word for me, a wanting to experience. You mentioned a lot about listening. Yeah. Listening is an incredibly difficult skill because the listening that you're talking about is what we refer to as active listening. That's hard to do. Um, I think that at the end of the day, we all want to be understood. If you want to understand somebody, you have to listen. If you listen to what they're saying, if you try to find some aspect of you that at some point felt that same way, it's easier for you to be with that person, to connect with that person, whenever you can find some aspect of that in yourself. And the only way to do that is to actually listen. Page 69, HS Historical Coast, Paragraph 2. I dreamt of a protruding echo from a brown oak guitar, strumming and resonating in the night, surrounded by friends all encircling the sandy bonfire in admiration of the waves that slowly, and in echo of our own, clapped in the background of what was that night. It makes me happy when I think, when I look back this idea of like leaving of going to places and of just not having any looking back and having any regrets in the decisions because I've met so many beautiful people who have impacted me in such beautiful ways and I think for me that's the point of living a very fulfilled life is chasing that adventure and just finding all the beauty that this world has to offer um, because aside from you know all the division and all the bad things that everything wants to paint it's such a beautiful life it's such a beautiful world and we only find that if we go look for it you gotta, you gotta go look for it. If you don't look for it, then you're gonna be staying in, in the same place that you're at. Wanting, that thing inside us, wanting. We all have that wanting, unique to each of us. For RT, it's travel. Mine is different, maybe yours is too. The question I ask myself, whatever my wanting is, am I even trying to realize it? Am I trying? And in this pursuit, do I open myself up to experiencing something new? 
Can I be that empty glass looking to be filled by whatever an experience has to offer? Let's not look back and wonder about the things that get away. Picture a childhood in a small Massachusetts town on a quiet street in an old wooden home, a place where parents peacefully let their kids roam the neighborhood having adventures. Betsy Luttrell tells me she discovered her joy for writing there in the third grade. Now, when her family moved to South Carolina, she adjusted and remained a good kid. Worst thing she ever did in high school was toilet paper the senior hill. Oh, and she did a little drinking. There's a poem in her book about that experience. Her book's titled, This Woman is Haunted. Now, what she means by haunted is the effects of experiences that stay with us. She went to the University of South Carolina and majored in broadcast journalism with hopes of a career in network TV news. But right about the time she graduated, her life went on a very different path. And eventually, she became increasingly haunted. I fell in love and thought, you know, I had no idea what it was going to be like to be a Navy wife because he was an ROTC at the time, you know, so I knew he was going to be in the Navy. But again, this is, you know, the late 90s. So this is before September 11th. So I never even thought like, you know, what it would be like to be a Navy wife. You know, he had proposed at the beginning of my senior year. And yeah, I mean, I think we struggled a little bit even then just, you know, kind of being apart with the distance. But, you know, we made it through. I think part of it honestly was trying, I think for both of us, maybe what our parents expected of us to do at that time. Were you getting pressure to, to get married? I think somewhat in, you know, in subtle ways. One of the things, you know, my parents were very religious, heavily under their influence at that time. And like, they would have flipped out if I was living with them or like, if I want to be with him, I have to marry him. But then, I mean, as you know, you have to go where the Navy sends you. And, you know, we had to move to Washington State at that time, like two hours north of Seattle. And here I am, you know, pretty fresh out of school. What were you thinking and feeling? Uh, I, was, I wasn't happy about it at all. I was, you know, because again, like I'm still under my parents' control quite a bit at that time. And so, you know, and they didn't understand either. You know, it's like, well, we, you know, we had no control over it. Um, you know, it was very far away from anybody that I knew. You know, thinking like, how am I going to do something with my dreams? You're in Washington, you're working at a small newspaper doing work you've never done before. What was that like? I mean, all in all, it was a pretty good experience. I worked there for two years until I had Joshua. And that takes us to uh, four children over the course of several years. Mm -hmm. You are now basically have become a stay-at-home Navy wife, mom of four kids. I mean, that's basically your life at this point, right? Yes, it is. And did you have any struggles with that? Absolutely. I think, you know, and I kept a lot of it to myself. I think a lot of the Navy spouse culture is that's what you do. When they're out there, you don't tell them your problems. Um, you just kind of keep it to yourself. Try to lean on each other when you can. But, you know, everybody's got things going on. So it can be hard to confide in other people about the struggles that you're having. So, you know, you do everything that you possibly can to, you know, just get through every day. Yeah, I mean, I think it was just like kind of ingrained in me that, you know, you just shove it all down instead of talking about it and confiding in people. And it was all sitting, resting beneath the surface inside you. Absolutely. Time passes, your kids grow. Uh, 
relationship stress mounts. Sure, and, you want to know. <laughs> well, I had always felt that you had been hurt, deeply hurt, and you wrote about it. I think, you know, I'd shoved everything down for so long. And then, you know, it was starting to come back up as I was trying to really find out, you know, who I was and what I wanted to continue to do with the rest of my life. It came out in poetry and it was good to express myself, good to process it. Cause I think a lot of it, I had never even processed before. It does kind of feel at times, you know, like you're, like you're haunted. Um, you know, with, within yourself, that all these ghosts that live within you that maybe you, you haven't talked about before, but they're, they're abiding in you. Contemplated my ghostly heart, locked myself in the bathroom and cried into my not the bar on Fifth Avenue of the same name, but the bipolar mood of a hormonal teenage girl. Broken glass embedded in her skin. And there's also a television screen in her eyes playing back scenes from the war in which her husband remember the last time I replaced the flowers on my dad's grave. And I hit the glass doors with my red cart as I tried to remember where I parked. I tossed the drooping white roses tinged with brown and cloudy water, but I didn't have it in me to make the bed but the air won't leave my lungs. The two of us, new mother, sleepy baby, bonded to this brown chair, watching the world burn. I remember this one poem that I wrote, it called The Invisible Woman. I just felt like no matter what I did, you know, like I just was invisible. Even when I was trying to scream and shout, hey, I'm here, I, you know, I felt really invisible. I think this was a major turning point for me um, in our relationship. And I, I don't even think I realized it at the time. I went through a really bad postpartum depression. And I just, I sat there one day and just said, I wanna die. I was just in a, a bad place with this depression. And he basically said nothing back to me and left and went on this two month or however long it was time away with the squadron. Looking back, and again, like I didn't see it at the time, but looking back, I think that was a major turning point to me in our relationship. Journalism obviously was what I wanted to go back to since that's the only thing I really knew. So I start to look into, you know, cause it, this was, I graduated from college in 2000. So clearly between 2000 and whatever year this was, 2016 or something, when I'm starting to look into this, the, everything has changed in the journalism world. So I was thinking, okay, well maybe I can go back and get my master's in it. So I'm looking into that. But in the meantime, I happened to run into the San Diego State's MFA in poetry program. And I was like, oh, huh. You know, I have a stack of poems that I've been writing. So I thought, well, heck, why not, why not try that? After some Chardonnay at the airport bar where I'd slouched on a stool. Instead, I blabbered about how my sister is becoming my brother and how my mother won't call him his preferred. At 15, I pounded my fists and legs on the ground until the tears started to flow. Her squinted while staring at the sun and she didn't pause to think about children dying in the streets or maybe it's because her hand strumming dark notes. Adagio, this is who I am. You know, and the more I worked in the school, 
the, you know, the more I became involved and started teaching. And after I started teaching, I was like, okay, I'm pretty sure this is where I want to be. I want to, you know, switch gears and go with teaching. And so the, the more I taught, especially once I got into teaching in the English program, and I got into it, of course, you're just nervous at first, but then yeah, there's just this spark that happened and then you just fall in love with with teaching it's like you tapped into an entire world that you didn't even know existed yeah absolutely i'm happy where i am i found my passion in teaching and like i know that's where i really want to be without a doubt no i made the right decision you mentioned that we all have common experiences that we're afraid to talk about Mm -hmm. and, you know, they can be deeply emotional, traumatic, mm -hmm. painful. And my question to that was, why do you think it helps us to read about it? A lot of people, even though you maybe you know you're not alone in the experience, like, you know, say we'll go back to a miscarriage. When I had mine, I know I wasn't the only person in the world who had ever had a miscarriage. But you feel completely alone in that moment. You know, when it's happening, you feel alone as you're trying to struggle through it. You know, when you feel like you can't talk about it for whatever reason. But to read it on paper that's out there in a book that's, you know, accessible to anybody who wants to read it. And you're like, oh, somebody else went through this. I'm not alone. I think it just kind of gets that I'm not alone feeling. It's okay to have those feelings and it's okay to express it, whether it's in writing or whether you, you can just talk to somebody about it. It's, it's good and it's okay to express it. And, you know, there's a lot of, of darkness in the book. Uh, you know, there's, you know, themes of, of some depression, you know, whether it was in the postpartum depression I've been through or, or just difficulties and struggles and relationships. I did go through couples therapy more than once um, you know, I've been through individual therapy with you know a few different therapists trying to to get to that too. Um, but I think writing might be like my strongest form of therapy. The man at the bus stop startled me. It was late at night, and I was carrying a bag of plums and lemons. When I woke up, my hair seemed a shade darker perhaps to match brown eyes. Seven pound dark haired baby nursing from my breast. Half drinking, half dreaming. Well, I wonder if his dad will ever hold him. Orange and red raindrops fall from the sky. Understood her as she drank its wine and tongued its rich chocolate truffles, watching people who weren't. You related poetry to music. You said the music of poetry. It's like you discovered or you were, right, the music of poetry. How are you relating music and poetry? There's a lot, you know, with music and poetry. I love, you know, when sometimes you just write a poem and, you know, you just kind of get these words out on the page. But then when you go back and the most exciting part is the revision. that rhyme in there or it's little things like the alliteration that help add to like the musical quality of, of a poem and there's like all these like rhythm when I talked about meter too like you know like making the sounds work when you're writing it's good to have let things go and just let myself be happy. It's a, you know, just a great place to be. And poetry helped you get there? Yeah, 
I think so. I think it helped me work through a lot of things that I needed to work through in my life, you know, just writing and, and processing and sorting through and realizing where I needed to be for me. Well, why do we see poetry, painful poetry, as beautiful art? You know, why do we find the beauty in the pain? I don't know if it's because we can relate to it and, you know, and you can see how somebody can put it in words that maybe you can't put it in all the time, um, you know, in a different expression. And it's like, yes, that's how I feel. And I couldn't say that. So I think a lot of people can relate to that. There, you know, there's unfortunately a lot of pain in, in the world. Um, there's also a lot of beauty in the world. So to find beauty in the pain, I think is a beautiful thing. One of the questions Betsy's story had me thinking about was control, either trying to control or being controlled by others. It's a subtle experience that can happen at any adult age. So I had to ask myself, how am I responding to control? Both my innate desire for it and my resistance to it. Control. Now, Betsy also went through suffering in silence in her partner's work culture, where you just kind of shoved it all down, moved on. I come back to the question, how will I respond to either my own inner pain or someone in my circle who may be suffering in silence? Can I help people who feel invisible? And then my favorite question, am I open to receiving that spark of excitement about something new I didn't expect, but suddenly find I love? Am I open to it? Because if I'm not, I'm gonna miss it. If I see my life as this one thing, one direction, I could totally miss something else I could be experiencing and, I think equally important, miss something good I can bring to the world. And finally, can I find beauty in pain? I had a great time today. From each segment, we heard sounds and music I need to acknowledge. In Arika's segment, a clip from Nightmare on Elm Street 3, The Dream Warriors. In RT's piece, samples from Givian and Leon Bridges. Betsy's story had some Florence and the Machine and Smashing Pumpkins. And as always in every Restless Soul podcast, the sick mood music was produced by San Diego's own Will Jerome and Carlos Nava. I was inspired today by these authors' willingness to bear their souls, even when some of their work involved very personal situations and very real relationships. They have literally risen up and expressed their compelling experiences with courage. I think that's a good point to end with. Can we rise up as well, my friends? Rise up and answer the questions we face with courage. I want to leave you today with this song by Will Jerome, aptly titled Rise Up. I love this song. It really grows on you. I listen to it a lot. So until next time, let's all rise up and live with courage. Courage.